0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Has Oregon's defense arrived following a 42-6 win over Colorado? We'll break that down on today's episode of the Duck's Dish Podcast. And we're back like we never left. Oregon fans, what's going on? How we living? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks over on Fan Nation, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. It is Tuesday, September 26th, coming to you with another episode, and it is going to be a fun one. Why, you ask? Because my guy Spencer McLaughlin of Locked on Ducks is back and better, arguably, if that was even possible. What's going on, man? How are we doing?
2: Uh, we're doing great. It's just wonderful to have football week after week. And, you know, it, the season's flying by. Somehow we're a month into this thing. Um, four, four games down, we've got the results that we've wanted. Not always how we've wanted it to look, but, you know, so far, so good for the Ducks and Dan Lanning.
1: Yep, so far so good after a 42 to 6 win over Colorado. We've talked a lot. A lot of people have already talked about that game. It's kind of wild to me that, you know, we're kind of still so focused on that when I think we're at the point in the week where we should be turning our attention to Stanford. But it's an interesting opportunity, Spencer, because I kind of view that Stanford game as a little bit of a, another tune up. It's a road test. Um, you get your buy, and then you just go into a crazy. I was talking with Brenna Green. She'll be on tomorrow's episode, a murderer's row of a schedule um, with the way things are shaping up in the Pac-12. So let's tackle a big-picture question. Has Oregon's defense arrived where we are right now in 2023? We're going into week five. I just kind of wanted to start breaking this thing down because people were saying before the game, this is Oregon defense's biggest test after uh i mean it was a bigger test they were saying than texas tech a couple weeks prior in lubbock and they passed that thing with flying colors there's no other way to put it
2: yeah i i think they absolutely did now um compared to what they will go up against this year i think that test was about a seven out of ten in difficulty because colorado is you know they, they haven't been able to protect Shadur sanders all year but they've still been able to throw the football they still went into a Power 5 team in TCU on the road in in Fort Worth. And for a team that's going to win probably seven to nine games this year as a member of the Big 12, they were still able to put up 42 points. So Oregon still deserves a lot of credit for that. I think it was a 7 out of 10 challenge and a 10 out of 10 performance. I do not think the defense could have played better. I, I really don't because Colorado had 18 plays for 19 yards. To begin the game, it doesn't get better than that. They reduced the penalties from what we saw against Texas Tech. That area has improved, can still get better, but you know, overall looked a heck of a lot better. The secondary covered well. They got pressure. They got off the field on third down routinely. I mean, it was such a great performance across the board. I think the question for Oregon's defense arriving comes against Washington. I, I think that's when you will know for sure if there's more room to grow or if this is, you know, the best version of the defense that uh, we've all waited for Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy to, to build just going into year two here. I, I've long been of the opinion that year three, I think, is going to be the big, big pop year for the defense, depending on what happens with, with the personnel in a couple areas. But I, I, I think that for Washington, that's, you know, from a difficulty standpoint, That's a 10 out of 10 USC difficulty, 10 out of 10, Washington state difficulty, probably an eight and a half out of 10. So if you put up more, you know, 10 out of 10 performances in terms of assessment in those games over and over again, then I think we will know. I think Washington is the first major test there, but make no mistake about it. You know, Colorado's offense has looked good all year for the most part. They haven't been perfect. But they have been able to score points at a high clip against 1G5 and 2 Power 5 opponents in each of their first three weeks, and they weren't able to score against the Ducks. That is a feather in Dan Lanning's cap. That is a feather in Tosh Lupoi's cap and all the players who were were just outstanding, really from the get-go. I mean, the very first drive, it was a three and out, and Colorado never looked like they had a chance, right? It was a quick completion and a quick tackle, right? No missed tackle, nothing. Take a shot down the field, Kyrie Jackson, nope not having it happen then they try to get us with the tempo we're ready for it they don't complete it anyway it wasn't going anywhere off the field like it was from the opening play they were ready to go but they still have bigger tests that lie ahead of them it sure was great to watch them pass that one though with flying colors
1: i i would definitely agree that they do have greater tests ahead of them and I think the nice thing about the way that their schedule lines up Spencer is that they don't necessarily have like two brutal tests back to back. I mean, i I don't want to underrate Washington state. Don't get me wrong.
2: You can like, underrate that, Washington state. That's a good football team.
1: That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. But like you have Washington and you have Washington state, a game you should win. And then you have that road game against Utah. And then you have the game against Cal. And then you have the game against USC. So I kind of like how, you know, It's not just a, like, if they had Washington and Utah back-to-back weeks, Utah and USC in back-to-back weeks, that would be really tough. But to talk more about what they did on Saturday, man, that was a phenomenal performance. And I, I don't know if I was talking to you about this, but after that Texas Tech game, I don't remember if we did a podcast or not, I said that was the most promising that Oregon's defense had looked under Dan Lanning, and then they take another huge step forward, uh, with this dominant performance over Colorado, uh, who put up fewer yards than Hawaii? Remind, uh, make sure we uh, wanted want everyone to know that um, it was only two yards, but still, like that's insane. I bet we didn't think we'd be saying that going into this game, but
2: absolutely not, absolutely but, not.
1: But the we can talk. We're going to talk about the pressures and, and all the sacks. Like that was just a thing of beauty to see on Saturday. But really for me, Spencer, I feel like where I was almost more impressed was in the secondary. And I think we all know who we're going to be talking about as Kyrie Jackson, the Alabama transfer had himself a day, three pass breakups, probably should have had a pick on that deep shot that you referenced on that first drive from Colorado. Um, I think that might have been how the the defense could have played even better um, if you just take all the wins out of their sails with the turnover early on in that game. But we knew that Shadur Sanders was a good quarterback. He didn't have any time. And we knew that his skill guys were the ones that were going to kind of keep this offense churning. But that Oregon secondary came to play, whether you're talking about Kyrie, whether you're talking about Jaleel Florence or Evan Williams. I mean, you just have big days scattered throughout that secondary. And I'm feeling more confident each week in a group that was, in my opinion, a question mark going into the season a little bit, just because we didn't really know what we had there with all these new faces.
2: Well, and we didn't even know what the starting lineups were going to be. I mean, I could have given you seven different permutations that were realistic before the year. And I mean, at some point it was either going to be just an equal balance of guys playing or guys are going to get pushed down the depth chart a bit. And I think Dante Manning and TriQuest Bridges to this point have been pushed down the depth chart a little because Kyrie Jackson looks like Oregon's best corner because he's been the most active. I think you can make an argument that Jalil Florence is the best because we're just not hearing from him. So I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan, which I know a lot of Oregon fans don't like, but I am who I am. I'm, I'm a Pacific Northwest kid. I'm a Mariners fan too. And gosh, is that miserable right now? But I think that when you look at that great Legion of Boom defense, you know, Richard Sherman had some impact plays, But for the most part, I I watched a lot more of Jeremy Lane and Brandon Browner and other guys they rotated in in that other corner spot because Richard Sherman just took away a half of the field, right? The ball just didn't go in his direction very much because every time it did, it ended up being troublesome. And so we haven't seen Jahlil Florence defend many passes this year or have the opportunity to, and I think it's because every time a quarterback looks that way, Jaleel Florence is just glued to his guy and, and he's just covered up and look, maybe it's scheme dependent and he's getting more safety help and they trust Kyrie Jackson to be one-on-one more. Perhaps that, that, that could be it. I don't think we'll know for, we, we we can know for sure. It's certainly not something landing would, would answer a question about, but I, I just feel really good about those corners and we didn't know who was going to play coming in and even in the safeties room. I think we've seen, a little bit of Steve Stevens, but it's been a lot of, uh, I think we've actually seen more of him than I thought we would, but Eddie Williams has been playing a lot. Tysheem Johnson playing a lot, Brian Addison playing a pretty good amount, but it's been a rotation, right? And we, we just didn't know coming into the year. And that's why it was, uh, you know, so fun. These first few weeks to kind of see, you know, who the starters are, who the big players are and who's on the field most often. And, um, I, I think that in, in fall camp, we heard that Jaleel Florence was working at nickel quite a bit. And he could have been a guy who in passing situations came on the field and been, you know, uh, a guy who comes in for, for one of the safeties so that you have someone who's a little bit more coverage oriented, but instead he's just one of the starting outside corners. That's, that's just where he is on the depth chart. But I mean, when you think about Dante Manning and Triquez Bridges who, you know, have had their ups and downs for sure in their Oregon careers, those are starting capable players who have done good things for the ducks in the past. And when those guys are getting pushed down the depth chart, I think that's a testament to how high a level the secondary is playing at right now, and just the way that they covered against Colorado. You know, the few times we saw that camera behind Shadur Sanders, where we kind of saw what he saw, nobody was open. There was just there was just nobody open. And I heard uh, Matt Praym over on the Onsen Audibles podcast say that he bumped into a Colorado guy at halftime, and they were talking about the game, and the Colorado guy said to him, "Nobody's open." They, they, they cannot separate. They've got no space. There's nowhere to go with football. This is not the best receiving core Oregon will play this year. It's not the worst, though. It's, it's not an incompetent group. Xavier Weaver was, like, leading the country in receptions going into last week, and Oregon shut down the passing offense entirely. Did not having Travis Hunter out there help the Ducks? Sure, it it, it did. They still would have lost. <laughs> they still would have lost by a lot of points. Colorado would have, and Oregon still would have looked really good defensively because Clearly, they've got guys back there that know how to cover at a high level. And, you know, when they go up against Washington and Washington State, but particularly the Huskies and then the Trojans later in the year, yeah, we'll, we'll have a better idea of what they're capable of. But, uh, boy, the early returns, I, I think, are really, really good. And another thing going back to that Texas Tech game is the penalties were so bad. The penalties are still there, but they're not nearly as bad as they were a couple of weeks ago. And I think that's a testament to the coaching staff getting their players more prepared to play a clean variety of football while still playing a dominant and effective one.
1: Definitely agree with that because that's exactly what we saw on Saturday. I think it's more than fair to say at this point, Spencer, that Kyrie Jackson has redeemed himself uh, for that pass interference call against the Red Raiders out in Lubbock when we saw the the play and we were just kind of asking ourselves, what the hell just happened? And then I also think in a similar way, But in a positive way, we were asking ourselves that a lot of times when we were seeing Kyrie Jackson making plays like, oh, my God, what are we watching? Like people, my Twitter feed was just like flooded with people like saying Kyrie's the truth, like this guy's a beast. Like Everyone was so excited about it. So it just shows you how quickly things can kind of turn around, but also just how well that group is developing and to stay in the secondary for a moment. I love what I saw from Evan Williams. I think that we He's saw fast. saw a lot of what he was able to do at Fresno State—the physicality, the intensity that he plays with—and this is a guy who came in from the portal, incredibly experienced. And you just well, let's just drop him into the starting lineup, like whatever. It's like a literally, I'm just like picturing right now, like Dan Lanning and Tosh and the staff. Just like, oh, a little bit of this, put a little bit of this in here, and it just really feels like this unit is coming together. Um, I'm feeling a lot more confident, obviously because of what we saw in the trenches, we're going to get to that a little bit later, but for me, I think the secondary, I, I, they had so much potential, but we just didn't know what that rotation was going to look like. And I'm feeling much more confident in it now.
2: Yeah, I, I I am as well. And I, I think the staff has, you know, allowed those position battles to play out because we didn't have a great idea. As we mentioned, coming out of fall camp or into fall camp of like, eh, what's the depth chart here? You figure Kyrie Jackson because he's an Alabama transfer, but, you know, Treshawn Holden is an Alabama transfer, and I think he's, you know, pretty solidly the number four receiver right now. I think it's kind of Troy and then Tez, and then um, I'm just blanking on someone for no particular reason right now. Um, Gary Bryant Jr. has, you know, had a bigger role than I thought he might, but They've all been really, really good. And through two years, if you look at the transfer portal additions Oregon has brought in, boy, we, we just have every reason going forward to trust this staff and their ability to bring in players from the portal that are going to make an impact and be positive contributors. You know, everybody ranging from Bonex to Jordan Birch. I, I mean, they've their, their hit rate in that department is really, really high. Not 100%. You know, Caleb Chapman didn't do anything last year. Junior Engelau... Hasn't played Where this is year.
1: He been? That's been shocking to me.
2: I think other guys have just beat him out on the depth chart. I, I mean, Angela came in. He was a four-star high school recruit, four-star recruit coming from Texas. According to 24 seven sports, he'd started a bunch of games over there. He might not be fully healthy. Uh, and maybe that allowed guys a chance to, you know, pass him on the depth chart. But I mean, Davey Uli was on the field while the game was still in question a, a bit on on Saturday, and I thought he did a night. He had a big block on that Bo, Bo Nicks touchdown. touchdown run, right? He was climbing up to the second level on that quarterback option draw play, and and he made a really really good play. And then we've seen Poncho at right guard all the time, and he looks good, and he's given Stephen Jones a spell, and Jones is really good. So I think Oregon's Oregon's just got a lot of depth and talent everywhere you look.
1: Yeah, and that's a point I think that we can. Can definitely get to talking about the front seven especially the defensive line because they got seven sacks against Colorado last week and it was just like anywhere you look for Shadour you know not only is there blanket coverage on the back end but you got somebody in your face man like I'm looking here I'm looking here left and right and front and center and just chaos havoc play after play after play and just seeing it show up that consistently was amazing because that's not something we've seen from Oregon in a long time. And you saw Jordan Birch get things going. You saw Tatum Tuioti, who's a true freshman. Oh my God. You saw uh, Mateo in the backfield a little bit, who was just getting held what felt like all the time. So I don't think he registered a sack, but heck of a game from him. Uh, You have Popo on the interior. You have Blake Purchase, another true. You have three true freshmen along this uh, front seven that are playing significant snaps, which is phenomenal. And I don't think a lot of people saw that coming when they inked this class.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think across the board, they've just they've just all kind of popped. I mean, they've just all popped to this point, whether you're talking about Birch or Evan Williams. We might see Justin Jacobs. For the first time uh, this week, he's back at practice, full contact for the first time I think in all the, in the entire fall. Like I don't think he did it at all in fall camp, and I don't think he's done it uh, so far since the season has begun. So I I just I like what I'm seeing on both sides of the football. Uh, I love the way that Oregon ran the football against Colorado, kind of mercilessly. Just <laughs> you can't stop us, so let's just keep running it. But then in the few moments where Colorado said, no, we're just going to not let you run the football, then we opened it up and took shots down the field. And I think that's been Oregon's offensive identity for the last couple of years is we want to run the football, but then if you take that away, we're going to beat you over the top and take our shots to Troy Franklin and take our shots to Gary Bryant and move the ball down the field. We'll get our tight ends involved in the RPO game and such. Casey Kelly with his first touchdown. T-Ferg had a nice catch and run. I I mean, I, I think the way that everyone's being utilized on offense and defense right now is a really, really good thing for the ducks going forward because it gives them balance. They've got depth, they've got experience and they've got talent.
1: They really do. And I think that's what makes this such a dangerous unit is the depth that they have across the board. Um, I want to talk about the linebackers a little bit more later, but let's stay on the defensive line, Spencer, because we knew that this was going to be the strength of the defense going into this year and they have delivered in a huge way. I think we're seeing why Jordan Birch came to Oregon, why he is being so effective because you can't just focus on him. You have your hands full as an offensive line, no matter which matchup you look at, like that's the level of play that Oregon's defensive linemen are at right now. Brandon Dorlis had himself a day, and we also have to mention how he delivered an absolute banger of a post-game press oh, conference. Yeah. We wanted to show them that we're still Oregon and they're still Colorado. I mean, he said he was, he was ticked off because of what they did to the O and how they were running their mouths. I mean, he backed it up on the field in the biggest way. And I really just liked it because Colorado, in my opinion, Colorado needed to be humbled and they were in a big way.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: Yeah, they were, and Dorlis is the leader on that defensive line, but he is far from the only good football player. Casey Rogers, I think, looks even better than last year. I think he's been more involved getting after the quarterback, Birch, as you mentioned, is getting one on one opportunities, and they're moving him around a little bit because he's such a unique physical athlete. I think he reminds me a lot of DeForest DeForest Buckner. You know, he's kind of not entirely a defensive tackle, not entirely a defensive end. He's just a defensive lineman. Do whatever you want with him. And he's big. You know, he's not, you know, thinner and more uh, agile like Mateo Uyungulele or a Kayvon Thibodeau. But I, I think that when you look at what the defensive line has from a depth standpoint Dorless is your leader Bo- birch looks good mateo and purchase and Tuioti coming off the edge we-, we thought coming into the year that'd be an opportunity for young guys to play because that's where oregon had some turnover from last year they also didn't have a lot of production there from a, a season ago and you know jake shipley's a fine football player but he's not making a big impact in the game, and he was someone who played regularly for the Ducks last year. At least I remember he did in the Holiday Bowl, and he actually did well in in that football game. But his ceiling is not as high as some of these other guys, and we're we're seeing Tuioti and and Purchase play and and play well. They're not just on the field getting experience; they're in there when Oregon needs a stop defensively. And you know those those two along with Mateo, that looks like a group of edge rushers that are that are going to be setting the edge for the Ducks for the next few years because. I, I think they're all outstanding. And then the interior, I think Taki Taimani, who of course had the big play with Dorless on fourth down against Texas Tech. I, I, I think they did a lot of really good things in that football game. And I mean, against the two power five, let's, let's take out Hawaii from the Mountain West, who might be a decent Mountain West team this year, but still let's take out Hawaii and let's take out Portland State, which is an FCS opponent. Sorry, I just accidentally adjusted something on my chair and I had to You're move good. it back. Um, they might've sounded like something else anyway. So I think that in the, in those two games against power five teams, Oregon's got 11 sacks, 11 sacks. I'm pretty sure they had like 16 all of last year.
1: I'm about to find out.
2: I mean, it was a historically bad year for the ducks getting after the quarterback. The pressure rate was bad. The sack rate was even worse and now against the two teams that compete in power conferences they've played so far the pressure has been there and part of it has been for sure speed in the secondary tysheem johnson evan williams they've both had sacks this year coming off the edge but they can only do that if the lanes are open because the defensive line is doing their job and they have enough of the offense's attention which they do I, i mean i think the blitz schemes have been really good I've seen Birch run off the edge. I've seen Birch come up the middle. Doless of course, gets moved around quite a bit. I, I've seen you know, wide field or yeah wide side of the field blitzes, boundary blitzes from the defensive backs and they just look faster. I mean, the guys who were coming on the blitz last year were uh were Bennett Williams and uh, you know, Jamal Hill or Steve Stevens maybe. and I, I think that Taishim Johnson and Evan Williams are faster than both of those guys and, and that is helping. Uh, and Bryce Betcher's playing well. And Jeffrey Bossa and Jamal Hill, I think, look great at linebacker. They've been making plays. I don't see them getting beat. They're tackling well. And they're blitzing the quarterback. Jamal Hill had a sack on uh, on, on Saturday, I'm pretty sure, of Shador Sanders. And um, Bossa just looks bigger, but he doesn't look slower. So I, I, I just think the the depth of the unit up front ha- has been on full display, and it needs to be for, for Oregon to have the season that we're hoping they can have. And um, I mean, so far the front four and that front seven in general, I, I think they look good as does the entire defensive unit.
1: 18 sacks a year ago is 18. Oregon's mark from uh, 2022. So and there were, already... there were,
2: there were no sacks against Portland state, but I think two against Hawaii. Yeah.
1: That sounds right. Yeah. So
2: 13 sacks on the season through four games, they had 18 all of last year. That is a, Big jump, and we talked on our on our shows all off season about, hey, on paper this is a better front four for the Ducks. Don't forget about Popo Amavi, who's got one of those sacks as well. This is a better defensive front on paper. That th- those results are translating right now.
1: Yeah, and I think another point, just to to kind of wrap up the the defensive line talk real quick. I think one of the you saw Oregon win in the trenches in a big way against Colorado. But they did it on both sides of the ball. They did it running the ball by rotating in fresh legs or three backs with Bucky, Noah, and Jordan James. You know, Noah's going to miss a little bit of time now, but I think Oregon's got the depth to be just fine there. But they did it on the defensive line, too, being able to consistently attack them with quality depth. What you can kind of move these pieces around. Mateo playing a big role, Bren Dorless, Popo Amavai, Casey Rogers, Birch, and then behind that you have guys that are capable of contributing like Keon Ware Hudson who's played a lot of college football, Taki Taimani, who who I think was a starter at Washington I want to say but you know has kind of had some some flashes here and there um, since he was at Oregon you just have that depth along the defensive line and I just love that Dan Lanning is building his team from the inside out but those pieces on the outside are starting to show up a bit more.
2: They are and also look at the way he's recruiting, right? 10 defensive linemen slash edge players in the class of 2023. And we're seeing three of them, right? Tatum Tuioti, Blake Purchase, and Mateo Uyunglele. And then the other seven are all going to redshirt this year. And then they're bringing a more defensive lineman in 2024. They're trying to get Aiden Breeland, the five-star from Modern Day. Talk about him on tomorrow's episode of Locked on Ducks with Brian Smith. So uh, go go check that out on, and on YouTube. And Jericho
1: Johnson. He was on campus this yep, weekend. And,
2: and Jericho Johnson as well. Like, they're, they're still going after you know the trenches and lanning knows that at georgia he had a great defensive line that could get pressure with four and they could just dominate up front and that's how you build a great unit on that side of the football and that's what he's trying to do right here and uh, you know birch doorless mateo rogers taimani popo like it's it's a deep talented unit and i think just you know looking ahead to 2024 there's going to be a lot of turnover because Casey Rogers will be done. Dorlis will be off to the NFL. Birch don't know he could go to the NFL. Um, we'll, we'll see what he decides to do. I think Taki is done um, after this year. So those names from the 2023 class who we saw against Portland state and might see this weekend against Stanford as well, the Amari Washingtons, Terrence Greens, Mikhail Gardners of, of the world and Ashton Porter and everybody else those guys are going to have to step in and, you know, fill the role that's being left. But at the at the edge position, you got three freshmen, true freshmen who are contributing right here, right now, and are on the field in big spots, and they look like they belong.
1: And, and not to be overlooked here, Spencer, you mentioned a lot of those defensive linemen that we really haven't seen prominently uh, from that 23 class. You also have a guy like Ben Roberts on the roster. Even though they're not playing, we can't, fail to mention how tremendously valuable this year is they're learning under these absolute studs. They're seeing how it's done. They're seeing the habits that you need to have to, to be playing at this level. So I think that's only going to further elevate their ceiling and perhaps their floor, but I think more so the ceiling for them heading into next year. So I think that was something I wanted to get in there real quick, but we have to talk about the backers a little bit here. We got to show them some love um, before we get out of here because i i wouldn't say that that was a question mark so much like you knew there were good guys there but we just didn't really know what the combo was going to look like um we knew that jeff bossa was going to be a guy um but jamal hill looks awesome bryce betcher is an absolute gem of a find for them a two-way sports star uh playing baseball as well i don't think he could be playing any better in terms of how that's panned out but we're also seeing devin jackson uh, mm-hmm. who is a young guy getting some important reps there. And then Connor Soeli, um, he also led the team in tackles. So you have some good pieces there. And we haven't even seen Justin Jacobs play yet this year. So, like, what if he's an absolute dude? That just makes this defense even more menacing.
2: I, I think Sully is the quietest contributor on this Oregon defense. Like I can't think of an impact play he's made, but then you look at the box score and you're like, oh wow, he had five tackles. Oh wow, he had eight tackles. Oh, he had seven tackles today. He's just kind of out there, and I and I think that much with the much like they do with the defensive line, they're they're able to rotate guys in and keep them fresh and not have a big drop off, right? I think Jamal Hill looks good. Bossa is much improved. Betcher is a stud. Soli is solid. Real solid. And we don't know what Justin Jacobs is, who might be the most physically gifted of the bunch if if he's fully healthy. So I think they're playing sideline to sideline. They're tackling better. I think they're covering better. They're blitzing effectively. I I just look at what they have done and say, I don't know how much better they could be with Justin Jacobs in there, which is a testament to how well they've played. But if they do get better, if Jacobs is just a dynamic, special kind of athlete and He's battled injuries in his career, so we'll see what he's able to do. I, I think it's just another feather in the cap for the defense to be able to say, yeah, we, we can just go 5-6 deep at any position. I mean, if right now, you know, let's say Jalil Florence got hurt and he has to go out for a play, you'd probably have Triquez Bridges or Dante Manning in there. Manning is playing his fourth year of college football and has elite physical traits, and Triquez Bridges was Oregon's highest-graded cornerback in 2022. Like those are the sorts of guys that you have stepping up when someone needs a spell. If you know a helmet breaks and you have to come off the field, or your helmet comes off, or you get hurt, or you have to miss a game or two, the, the the depth is there to compete at the highest level and contend in what is the best conference in America.
1: I'll wind it down with this, Spencer, to answer the question that we're centering the show around. I don't know if Oregon's defense has arrived. Uh, I'm not ready to say that because. It's only been one dominant defensive performance. I'm not really taking into account Portland State and Hawaii. It's just not worth it in the bigger scope of things. But I think this was their best performance of the year against a quality opponent um, that a lot of people thought was gonna were going to be able to do a lot. Some people even took them to upset Oregon. But they are looking like they are on that track of being a truly dominant and elite defense. So I don't want to jump the gun. I want to wait to see what they can do. Uh, maybe against a team like Stanford, uh, which is still a power five team, or maybe even a little bit further down the road, more importantly against Washington. Maybe we revisit this question after they go on the road to play Michael Penix and the Huskies. So I don't know if I'm quite ready to say that they arrived, but dang, are they looking good?
2: Here's the way I, I I'll phrase the answer to that question. Our great defense looks the way that it did on Saturday against Colorado, but you can't know if it is great for sure until they play a better team. Because the Texas Tech game was, you know, I thought they showed signs and then they adjusted what they did wrong in that game, the penalties, most notably against Colorado. And that's what a good team also does is they look at their weaknesses and they address them and get better. And it has gotten better over the last couple of weeks. If you have a great defense, that's how they play through the first four weeks for the most part aside from you know a few things here and there against Texas Tech but you can't say for certain that you have one until you play a team like Washington or USC or Washington State frankly and then you hold those offenses under 250 yards passing and under 20 points you do that then you say that's a great defense
1: all right, Spencer, before we get you out of here, where can people find more of you and what you got going on in the space?
2: Yeah, I'm at Smalls underscore 55 on Twitter. I host Locked on Ducks and Locked on Pack 12 Monday through Friday on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. I've also been doing my best Max Torres impression over at 750thegame.com, doing a little writing over there. So go and uh, check that out if you'd like more of the content. And you can always hit me up on Twitter and my DMs and mentions are wide open, but good to talk with you, Max.
1: I appreciate you stopping by Spencer. If you guys want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at M sports, subscribe to my YouTube channel at Oregon football, Max Tourist, and turn on some notifications because I come at you five days a week, just like Spencer does. So we're both grinding and hustling, show us some love and show us some support. We greatly appreciate it. And then make sure you don't miss out on my written content covering Oregon football and Oregon recruiting over on DucksDigest.com. We're back tomorrow with Brenna green of coin in Portland. So make sure you guys don't miss that one. But until next time, thank you guys so much for taking some time to talk some ball. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Duck's Dish podcast.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality.